another podcast. Today I'm speaking with a special guest. Her name is Mattie Clements. Mattie is from a company called Mental Edge Consulting. And Mattie's journey is an interesting one because she originally entered a field of psychology that she was discouraged from entering, and that is sports psychology. Not only that, she then tackled a male-dominated sport, Australian Rules Football, and is now working very successfully in it. It's going to be interesting to find out from Maddie what led her to that. Of course, along the way, she's worked with Olympic sports, AIS-level sports, Australian Institute of Sport, as well as state-level sports, and currently is involved with a lot of individuals in a range of different sports. And listen as you find out from Maddie what led her to appreciating the influence of wellness and emotional intelligence in sport and through organisations. If you like this podcast, then go to the iTunes store and subscribe to Iron Golf Mind podcast. Then you'll be able to listen to all of the currently uploaded podcasts as well as be notified of the future ones. Sit back, enjoy this podcast, and I'll see you at the end of it where I'll give you my take-home points from the chat with Maddie. Maddie, it's great to chat to you today. I have known you for a number of years and through the work that you've done in golf. And as you probably know, I'm a fan of your work and what you've done. <laughs> but when I look at the work that you've done and across all sport, and I think this is really interesting because you have had so much involvement with so many different sports. The question is, if you weren't a psych, if you could choose the sport and you could be great at any sport you like, which would you choose? Uh, that's a good question. I think I would choose triathlon. What is it about triathlon? Well, I, I did work with the um, Aussie triathlon team for a period of time in the Beijing Olympics. They're a really impressive group of athletes around how they train. Uh, I haven't seen any other sport train quite like that. It, you know, three disciplines, yes, that, that changes the dynamics already of the sport. Three disciplines, and even though people probably the layperson saw that sport as an individualised sport. It's not an individual sport because you actually, you were working, you worked as a team to get a position, you know, for the Olympic Games, get a position at a World Championship, etc. So it was it was quite interesting how you brought a team together of, say, three, three athletes to get one medal. So the nuances and of that sport were really quite intriguing as well as how hard they trained. What actually led you to psych? I used to row just at a you know, state, very, very basic state level as a junior. Technically, wasn't overly flash, I wouldn't have thought. Physique-wise, at that time, probably wasn't suited to it. But I think, I think there was an element of what I did bring to that, um, to that level of sport mm. was the mental side. And then when I, and when I was training, there was I recognised that there was a big gap of service provision in that sport, so it sort of planted a bit of an interest for me around what that might look like. Went off to uni, uh, did a did a one of my majors was in psychology, got a bit of understanding of all the clinical org sites, etc. But there was nothing in sport at all. We didn't we didn't learn anything about mm-hmm. sports psychology. So then I thought a, a challenge for me would be to do my honours thesis in sport and then why not choose one of the hardest sports to get into as a female was AFL. So that was the, that was the aim and, I, and I, I did that. I got data from, a, a, I think at the time it was three or four of the AFL clubs and then some of, this, um, some of the VFL clubs, etc. and then sub-elite clubs 
and did this uh, thesis. It was really interesting that it was still really new and quite a foreign concept and then it just sparked some interest and from there um, that's the career path I took and all I've ever done is work in sport um, and I mentor a few different people that are not all psychologists and said I don't know anything other than sport that's this for me and it's a really cool industry to work in working with generally highly motivated but often the best in the world that's an exciting industry mm. to work in. Um, so I think I chose the right industry for me and uh, what I'm passionate about is that seeing people excel, be the best they can be. So mm. it's, a, it's a nice fit for what I'm interested in. So it sounds like you, you saw a need and then created a career out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, people talk about career planning, as they should talk about career planning. I don't think I ever really had a clear career pathway. I just worked out or knew what I what I was good at yeah. and what I what I and often what you're good at is what you like doing. So there why wouldn't you choose a job or a role of what you like doing? I, don't, I, I always amazes me people that sit in jobs that they dislike and I think there's so many jobs, there's so many roles out there. Why wouldn't you find the one that you do like? You just need to know what you like doing and then start searching around that because you spend a lot of time at work. Mm. And if someone had have had that career planning conversation with you, the first one of the first questions they're going to ask is, "What are you passionate about?" Well, yeah. you knew, you just did it. So yeah. You, yeah, yeah. But I think in those days, Peter, that wasn't the question that was asked, and mm -hmm. I think now it is. I think career planning has got, particularly for athletes um, and players, has gone well and truly in the right direction. But in those days, you didn't. You sort of got um, you got told as a female as well, you got told that there were certain things that you should do and if you were relatively smart, there were certain subjects you should choose and certain career paths you should take. So it wasn't necessarily what you were passionate about, it was more so what was expected, I think. And I just, I was lucky that my parents are very mm. supportive of doing what you want to do, what you, what you like. Yeah. yeah. And most people, as they're going along in their career pathway, there's there's something, there's a number of milestone points. Mm. Uh, one for you clearly was the rowing uh, and you recognise that there are ways for rowers to, to improve yeah. through improved mental skills and that's led you to a career. Yeah. Inside of that, there are often things that occur and I want to ask you why AFL because uh, as you already acknowledged, that was traditionally a non-female mm. domain. But there are mentors that, that encourage and lead yeah. and, pro and provide inspiration and who are your mentors? Well it's actually interesting that you ask that question Pete. So I was doing my, um, it must have been my fourth year of psychology at Monash University and the, uh, I think, I'm not 100% sure of what his title was now. He and I got along really really well. I really had this strong memory of me going into his office one day about something or other because they didn't really, at the time, want me to do my honours thesis in sports. So, like, there was not really anyone. Um, there wasn't really anyone who was um, uh, supervising mm -hmm. in that space. Um, so it, it was just trying to find someone who was in. And I sort of started being discouraged. I walked into the office, and I think I was feeling a bit discouraged about possibly my thesis topic being in sport and. Would I, would I have 
enough support from the university, etc., would I have a, an appropriate supervisor? Because you needed at that time, you need to do very well in that thesis to go on and make a career of yourself. And and he was really he had no idea about sport at all. Um, but he, he said, Penny, you'll be fine. Like you you you'll do really well. I'm I'm here. Any if you need any extra help, whatever you want me to read over your thesis, however many times I'm here. And I thought. He had no idea of sport, but he was really encouraging to me, and and he, he was really significant in my um, vocational pathway or my academic pathway because I could have taken a different tack there. The easier the easier thesis topic would have been to do something in clinical. There's no doubt about it. That would have been far far easier to do. Sport was going to be tough because the popular getting a uh, population for the research, etc. He really strongly encouraged me not to give up on it and said you will be fine, you, I reckon you'll do a really, really good job. And, and the research was, it was, it ended up being a really cool research project and really exciting for me. And I guess that's where my career path took off mm. from there. Does he know how significant that conversation no, was? And it's, no, he doesn't. Um, and I was only recently, I was thinking, oh, I should get in contact with him. He probably, he would definitely have been retired by now. And because it was, it was hugely significant, hugely, yeah, more so than he would have recognised, I think, because young female wanting to work in sport, there were a lot of reasons why possibly I shouldn't have done it as well, but that conversation was very significant. Yeah, isn't, isn't it funny how those magic moments will come back and, and someone will contact you after a period of yeah. years sometimes yeah. and say, do you remember when we spoke about such and such, and half the time you don't remember. No. But they do, they remember. It's a bit like saying, you know, who was your favourite teacher at school? Do you remember what they yeah. taught you? No, I don't. Do you remember how they made you feel? Absolutely, exactly. that's what I remember. Exactly. Yeah. So you started off in, in uh, psychology with sport. It's interesting you said before about you didn't know anything other than sport. If we look at the bigger picture, you know you know people, so you know psychology yeah. anyway. And that's if we right. look at the bigger umbrella under that, you're... You're a coach. Yep. What you're doing though, particularly with AFL. Now let me ask, why AFL? That was where I was going to um, ask you Originally it was almost just by chance that I ended up having some clients that were AFL players. So I had a I had a practice in Adelaide at the time. I just sort of set up as, because there were a few AFL players that had got in contact with me who wanted to see a psych. And I was working at the South Australian Sports Institute at the time and someone had recommended, it was just word of mouth I think. Um, and someone had suggested get in contact with Maddie and then I thought, oh, I haven't got anywhere to see you because I can't see you at the South Australian Sports Institute so I, I got some office space. The players just kept referring other players in and it sort of got, it just got larger and larger of the referral network and then the AFL Players Association asked if I'd be the consultant for South Australia because they'd heard that the referrals were coming into me and then oh, there's something about AFL and we should say for our overseas listeners that AFL is Australian Rules Football. Yeah, yeah. It's such a passionate sport. Mm. It, you, you watch the fans, they're so passionate about their team and particular players. And there's something really interesting and motivating about that. And I think that was really attractive to me. And also there was, a, a, I think, probably without awareness, there was also an element of it's going to be a challenge for me as well. So a, a younger female working with, in a purely male-dominated sport 
that's going to be a challenge, but I, I th it's a cool challenge and it was exciting, so I thought that's what I'll, I'll give it a shot. And in South Australia, we ended up uh, the largest number of referrals coming in from into the uh, AFL Players Association at that time because the players were fantastic. They really, they really understood that psychology wasn't just about having issues, that you could come in and see a psychologist to, be, uh, to further develop yourself. So it wasn't your traditional or your old, what I'll call an older school model of psychology where this and this and this is um, really problematic, it's a worst case scenario, that's when you see the psych. They actually transitioned and started understanding that you come in, if you want to work through something, but work through something to become a, a better mm. player, but a, a better person or a more functioning, effective person. So there was that really, I really enjoyed watching that transition and seeing that. And I think AFL has, is a sport that has greatly encouraged that transition. So it no longer is it a deficit model, it's about a well-being, optimal functioning model and there's obviously the performance element that comes out of that, but the optimal functioning being, optimal functioning as a human being, whatever that means for the individual. Um, and AFL's very much allowed that um, philosophy to grow. And so now your, your practice, your most experience is around wellness um, and part of that's emotional intelligence and yeah. how, it, how it applies to individuals and, and organisations and yes. I think that's important to look yes. at too. So how did it become much more a wellbeing thing and how would you, how would you define wellbeing yeah. for an elite athlete? I see wellbeing as a continuum. Up one end of the continuum you've got, uh, you're performing under pressure and at the other end you've got mental and physical health. Now people are going to move up and down that continuum based on what their needs are at that point in time. But fundamentally, you need good mental and physical health. You need motivation, professional development and personal development, which is your emotional intelligence in there as well, mental toughness, etc. To be able to do that really high end of the continuum, which is performing under pressure. Now, performing under pressure for players or athletes is that competition scenario. But performing under pressure for coaches it's not a different model for, it's not a unique model just for players or athletes. It's the same model for people. It just depends what your performing under pressure mm. environment is. For, for players and athletes, it's competition. But for coaches, it's also competition. For um, your sports science staff, there's a, etc., etc. So it's an organisational approach to wellbeing uh, that we work from now rather than just a player or athlete centric. So, okay. so is it the same set of skills but just applied in different yeah. contexts? Yeah, exactly. It's a front, it, so emotional intelligence is a great example of that. What, are, what are the skills? For emotional intelligence, the easiest way to explain it is that emotional intelligence is about um, utilising emotions as facts in decision making. So getting, and, and getting your rational and your emotional brain to work together. Your emotional brain is created, or your brain is created, for your emotional brain to kick in quicker than your rational brain, which makes sense when you think about fight, flight. So it's, it's that way for a reason. Yeah. But what emotional intelligence is about is about bringing the two, giving you some skills and strategies so that you use the emotions as facts in your decision making and your problem solving. Now that might be something that is based around inter your self-awareness or it might be the interpersonal stuff as well. Um, so emotional intelligence is self 
others' environment, decision-making, and emotions are the facts, one element of the facts in that. So I think that's a fundamental skill people need to be successful. And research would show within corporate environments that successful leaders, great leaders, they're not the IQ smartest people in the organisation. They don't have a specific personality that one size fits all. What they do have is high emotional intelligence skills. And to me, that makes complete sense why that would be the case. Because you have to know yourself to be able to work with people and get the most out of yourself. You have to be able to work with other people to lead them and influence them and motivate them to be the best they can be. And you have to be a good decision maker. To me, that makes common sense that emotional intelligence would be a fundamental skill for successful people and is a fundamental skill for successful athletes, players and coaches. Mm -hmm. Because coaches, particularly, emotional intelligence is crucial for them. They're, they're leaders of either a, a squad of athletes, a particular athlete or a team of athletes. It's whatever, the, however many is in that group of athletes or players, they're still the leader of them. So you need to be able to effectively and appropriately influence those people to come on the journey. And it's so easy to say the wrong thing at the wrong time yeah. and create such, I guess, a, a relationship deficit with, with a particular person or That's with right. people that you can never recover it. That's so, right. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely critical, but it goes further up the chain than that, doesn't it? Yeah. So it goes from the athletes to the coaches. If the coaches, the coaches can influence mm. the athletes, but then there's also influences above the coaches. So successful CEO are emotionally intelligent people, mm. typically, because once again, we've, we've all had experiences where we've had a person that's been put into a leadership role who's highly, highly intellectually intelligent really, really smart people, but aren't able to get you to engage and buy in, and you, you don't really come on that person's journey. Yes, they're highly intelligent and you can recognise that, but there's something missing, and to me that missing part is that emotional intelligence. So your CEOs need to have these skills. Your high performance staff need to have these skills. A another important subgroup that often gets forgotten about, your umpires and your officials. They need emotional intelligence skills because those individuals work in very stressful <laughs> environments, um, have to make decisions, yeah, really crucial mm. decisions under highly stressful um, situations. They need emotional intelligence skills, but not just for the self part of it and the decision making, but also as a way to, as an official umpire, to engage with the player and provide that information to the player. Even though you know they're not going to like the content of it, but there's a way to deliver it and there's a way not to deliver it and to exacerbate the yeah. situation. So I actually think there's, there's so many stakeholders in a sporting organisation that, that do benefit from emotional intelligence training yeah. and education. The world of football is, is predominantly male. Yep. And so in predominantly male environments, particularly where the, you know, generally younger people, the, the environment can get quite, quite blokey. Yep. Which again, to, to explain the word blokey, it, it's very just male to male. Mm. Um, dynamically. Yes, yeah. dynamically. Yeah. So how does, how does that work with a, with a female in that? Is that, is that, a, is it a calming influence or is yeah. it more the way you play your role, which again probably brings in your emotional intelligence in, in how you're delivering? Yeah, I, I get asked 
that a, a lot about being a female and working, because now I would predominantly work in all-male all dominated mm. sports. Um, I think it's less about the gender, it's about the individual. There's an awareness of gender mm. in there and, and awareness of me being a female, but I think it does come down to the individual um, and your, your awareness of self, but awareness of others and that the emotions of others and um, how your interactions with that person might make them feel anxious or it might bring them down a couple of notches because they feel more comfortable talking to you versus someone else, etc. Um, but it's always about the individual yeah. in there. I, I try to move away from it being a gender issue because I think that's not useful, not useful for me, <laughs> but not useful for anyone else either. But having said that, I also don't apologise for being female. Um, I'm very proud to mm. be a female. I'm very proud to have two daughters as well. Um, and I would very much want them to feel that they can work in whatever environment that they choose to work in, um, that it's about management of self and, um, and how you influence others. Exactly. And what a great example you're setting to us two <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> now, because you've worked across sport, you will have worked with athletes who, for whatever reason, whether it's genetic training or a host of reasons, that are not really going to make it. Mm -hmm. And yet you've worked with others who are world champions. What are the things that seem to separate out the good athletes from the very best? What is yeah. it about the very best that, that helps make them the best? No, and I guess there's another group in there that are the really fascinating group that are those that are genetically blessed who don't make it. Those that are, yeah, say the sports rowing, who are tall, physically suited to it, etc., do really well on the, for the, on the testing, etc., but don't make it. They're the really fascinating group. And I think that, uh, I think a common theme between, uh, across those athletes that are great versus those that are good, great athletes tend they know what their strengths are and they continue to work on that and they they evaluate based on that. They, I think they spend a little bit less time worrying about others um, and what they're aware of where they sit compared to others, but their focus is a lot more on what they need to do and what they need to develop and how they're going to do it. And they also can be quite creative in their thinking around what, what are some little things, what are some little extra things, what's a different way to do this that might make me that little bit better mm. and creative in thinking uh, and flexible in thinking uh, I think is often quite important to these great athletes. The other thing uh, I think that they have is that they challenge themselves. Everyone's going to have a setback and the great athlete keeps coming back and some people might say that's, that's unusual, there's something wrong with them because they keep coming back but that is the great athletes are those that they keep persisting. Mm. They they see a setback as an opportunity versus a setback as a failure. Is that I think it's that definition of what that situation is. And there's a high degree of resilience in there too. Very much. Successful or, or great athletes are resilient people. Mm. If someone said to me, Olympic gold medalist, to repeat that, that is a great athlete. Mm. Because once you've won one gold medal, you're the chase. You're the person that everyone's chasing. But the Olympic gold medalist that repeats and re-medals, they are a great athlete. Because they, and what have they done? They've gone. Okay, what do I need 
to get better based on me. Mm. I'm not worrying about everyone else. I'm focusing on me. And I think that's a good example of what great athletes do. They focus on what they need to do to get the best out of themselves, not what everyone else is doing. Mm. It's a different mindset because winning a gold medal is in the eyes of, well, in the eyes of probably almost everybody, that's the summit. Yes. You, you, you've achieved the summit. But once they, once they have done that, to actually go back and say, yeah. I'm going to do it again. And that's a great athlete. And then they know that it, they're going to either have to do a faster time with the heavier weight, do yep. whatever their sport is, yep. they're going to have to do it better the second time around. And they're going to have, ha that's right, they're going to have, because they can't do exactly the same, mm. because everyone else is going to follow suit of what they did, or a majority of people will follow suit on, of what they did. They have to do something even better or different, or so they actually have to challenge themselves again, mm. rather than, so it would be easy for them to repeat another four years of exactly the same. But chances are that won't get a performance that they they want because that same creates same. And all those other athletes, their competitors, will be probably doing, what, doing the same. Mm. So it's that creative. And I think it's having... I also think great athletes do have a, um, a, a very clear support team around them who they trust. Um, and it's not a, it, it, my belief is it shouldn't be a huge support team. It's key couple of people that bring in expertise that you bounce ideas off the athlete or the player bounces ideas off, but they, they trust. Mm. And that's their team. Even in individual sports, you've got, you should have a key team of people that are your support group and, your, and they're your team and that, that's what enables you to be, it helps you be successful. And there's got to be a lot of single-mindedness in in doing that. So how does that interaction work between the key people? Can can the best athlete say, I need to listen? The best athlete needs to listen. Mm -hmm. Because it, that's how you get new ideas. That's how you're innovative. That's how you're creative. If, if you're not willing to listen, you've only got your own information. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's no way you have all the information. Yeah. Being inquisitive means you have to listen. Doesn't mean you just you just act on that information without thinking. You then utilise that information in your problem solving. And as the team um, team gives you information, then you come up with, okay, that sounds cool. We could we could do that. I could do that. Mm. But it's definitely getting experts in for that information. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the the whole idea of uh, athlete well-being, which it, it comes in with these traits of emotional intelligence and all the rest of it. How trainable are they? It's a good question. So emotional intelligence is different to IQ mm. or different pe to personality. Emotional intelligence is a whole heap of skills and strategies that you can learn. I'm really passionate about emotional intelligence because we can teach people these skills um, to become more emotionally intelligent. Um, so Investing time, energy in this space, I think, is a really worthwhile investment for professional development, for the, for an athlete, for a service provider, for a coach, whomever it is, because it is teachable skills. Um, I'm not saying it's, they're easy all the time, but they are teachable skills. What are some examples about how you may yep. go about doing that? So it, it sounds like a lot of it is around self-awareness. Yeah. I work from, and our company works from a fundamental principle that if you don't know yourself, 
You can have as many different strategies and schools as you would like, but you're never going to really know when to implement them and utilise them. So, you, so the fundamental skill or the beginning point for emotional intelligence is self-awareness. That's always, I think, a work in progress anyway. Um, and, and there's different frameworks you can work from to develop your self-awareness around uh, how a situation is just a situation, how you think about a situation causes your own emotional response, etc. And then you'll have behaviour and performance that fall out of that. But you know, having, a, having awareness around your patterns of thought is a really good starting point. Know what? So what are helpful thoughts and what are less than helpful thoughts and what are your patterns around that? Because if you know your patterns, you're able to do something about it quicker. If you don't know your patterns, you're just taking a stab in the dark when you're going to implement a strategy. So emotional intelligence is teachable on that level as well. Yeah, and that sort of comes back to what you said earlier about emotions and, and facts and things like that. So if the emotional brain, mm. emotional response kicks in first, and then you quickly realise, hey, this is what's happening, and this situation actually calls for something different. Yeah. The response that I'm giving yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Then something you can do something. So if you emotional, and as I said, there's situations when your emotional brain needs to kick in first um, because it's a it's a safety reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can say, okay, my common pattern is in these common situations, I tend to get really, really anxious, and to get rid of that anxiety, I do da 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 da. Is that going to get me the best outcome? Maybe not. Okay, what can I do about that? What's some strategies I can implement with that knowledge that that's a bit of a pattern for me? And, and we all have patterns. I think when, um, and often when uh, we, our company runs programs and, and programs in this space, everyone gets a bit uncomfortable when they're writing down their patterns and thoughts and everyone's probably thinking, oh, I'm the only freak with these, th these thoughts going on. And when we actually ask um, the different uh, participants to disclose their thoughts, etc., everyone's got freaky thoughts, so they're actually normal. Yeah. They're normal. Um, but we don't often talk about that stuff unless there's a environment or a structure to talk about it. So yeah. then you don't know what you don't know. There's also blind spots. Yeah. So there's things like, oh, I'm going to disclose this, but probably no one will ever have known it. And no, say, yeah, no. we all knew that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a, I always think that's a great moment in, in a uh, working group when the rest of them go, of course, <laughs> yeah. duh, as if you didn't, as if you didn't know you do that. And, and the person goes, wow, I had no idea it presents in my communication. Communication being the behaviour that falls out of that model. Which takes us back to the whole reason for you doing what you do. Maddie, the chat's been fantastic. The idea of you know, wellness, particularly through organisations, is tremendous. And interestingly, listening to you and the, the brilliant business you've developed with Metal Edge Consulting and how that's come about through exploring territory that was difficult or seemed yeah. to be difficult in the past, but you've broken a lot of ground. And I know you have with golf too because I've worked with you and I've really enjoyed doing that. But to, do, to see your performances in you know, male-dominated sports and the fact that people are coming back to you through word of mouth because it's through choice, it's not because they have to. So well done. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For the thank you. Thanks for today. I really enjoyed that chat with Maddie. Before I give you my three take-home points, I just want to remind you that her company, Mental Edge Consulting, can be found on the web at mentaledgeconsulting.com.au. Okay, so here are my three take-home points. The first one 
is it's important for you to know yourself and to know your patterns. And they're patterns of thinking, patterns of behavior. And as Maddie suggested, the chances are other people already recognize them in you. The second take-home point is you need to develop a small team of people who you're prepared to listen to because they're going to offer you advice and often that times that advice is things that you're not quite clear on yourself or you don't recognize in yourself and they can be things that are going to help you to move forward. The third is that regardless of setbacks, you need to keep going and find a way to do so. I'm actually going to give you a fourth because this centered around the whole concept of emotional intelligence. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO, the leader of a large or small team, a coach or an individual athlete. The idea of emotional intelligence is critical for the success of you or your team or your group. If you enjoyed this, remember, check out more from Maddie Clements at her website, mentaledgeconsulting.com.au and go to the iTunes store and subscribe to Iron Golf Mind to listen to this and all of the other podcasts.